All right. The book of Luke, the chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one right there in front of you. And if you don't own one this morning, that is our gift to you. When you get to Luke chapter 17, we're going to be in verses 11 through 19. So when you get to Luke 17, 11, look up at me and say, Jesus, we love you. <clears throat> All right, most of us are there. Please follow along and have your eyes on Scripture, and upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and because we are thankful to God for his word, you can respond with thanks be to God. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, please have your eyes on Scripture. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, Have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are in between some sermon series, and so I get to kind of teach, you know, what I want on days like today, which is a lot of fun. And so we're going to get to the passage, but just two primary announcements. Um, For those of you who are part of the youth group, ages 6 through 12th, we have got a summer bash that's coming up, Destination Unknown. So parents, this shouldn't cause any anxiety. You drop your kids off and have no idea where they're going. So it should be a a really fun time. So this is going to be great. Bring your swimsuit. It's going to be a ton of fun. Sam and Aaron Barrett, our youth directors, it's going to be a blast. Logistically, there's a permission slip out there um, at the Welcome Center. So when your kid gets bit by the snake, we're not liable for that in any way. It's the 11 o'clock. Come on, guys. you got to give me a little more than this. And so if your kid's going to be a part of that, please pick up the permission slip out there and sign and be a part of that. And then, ladies, the Know Him Together launch night is going to be happening this coming Friday. And so this is the last Sunday to sign up and be a part of that. Um, Some women in the church have come together, prayed, studied. They're going to be walking through the books of 1 and 2 Peter. Um, They've written their own curriculum for this. Like, this is just top-notch stuff. And so you want to be at this launch night and then live living in community throughout the summer um, as our schedules get busy and stuff like that. So you want to be a part of this. Today's the last day to sign up for that. So ladies, please sign up and be a part of that. And so as we're in Memorial Day weekend and um, was sort of thinking and praying about as to what to teach on in between series, I just sort of, you know, praise God for Google, man. It's 2018 and you can Google anything. And so I looked up the history um, behind uh, Memorial Day. And many of you probably know this, but so Memorial Day actually used to be called Decoration Day. And so after the Civil War, when we lost a large population um, of our nation due to the brutality of that war, there were headstones and cemeteries that were designated for fallen soldiers who had given their life for that. And so because the winter months were wet and they were bad and then the springtime being very wet the people sort of designated the first part of summer to travel by horse and carriage to go to the cemeteries where these soldiers were 
and decorate them and remember them. So if you've gone into a produce store or Walmart, that's why you've sort of seen flowers and everything like that. It didn't become a nationally federal holiday until 1971, and we were like, woohoo, all right, another day off work, you know? And so I use that to segue this. Man, when, when, when you understand the heritage of our country, though there's a lot to disagree with and nothing's perfect, but this idea of Memorial Day, when you understand, like my granddaddy Bean was a prisoner of war, Man, somebody laying down, like they never met you. They didn't know you, but they believed in this democracy that we have in this republic that we have here. And they gave their life for that. Could you imagine just going through our nation's history and talking about the brutality of these wars and everything like that and someone walking away from that going, yeah, I'm, I'm just not really grateful. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't really doesn't really mean anything to me. You would almost go, man, are you even American, bro? Like, I mean, like, what in the world? This idea when you understand something like that produces something inside you, this idea of gratitude, of being grateful. Did you know that actually the Scriptures warn us greatly throughout the New Testament about this idea of understanding who God is. Like, we as Christians believe that we know the God who spoke the Milky Way into existence. I mean, nobody else excited about that? Am I the only one in here today, right? Like a super, not just that we know that God, but listen, that that God knows us and actually cares for us. And we know who we were, rebels and, and hostile and enemies of his, but yet he still pursued us. But oftentimes in the scripture, the Apostle Paul will sometimes warn against the idea of walking away and not having a response to that. So in Romans chapter 1, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the Apostle Paul says, one of the reasons what's broken with humanity, and you could almost phrase it this way, if someone is ungrateful, it's almost a sign of being ungodly. Because although they knew God, they did not give Him the honor that was due, and they definitely didn't give Him thanks for what He had done for them. But then later on, he writes to his protege, Timothy, and he tells Timothy, you need to be prepared as a pastor, and Jesus may come at any time, and here are some signs of what it looks like when Jesus is coming. And it's funny, the embassy has nothing to do, I'm just kidding, are you with me today? All right, here we go, okay? He says this, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Now, when you look at that list, you're like, the end times are upon us, right? Disobedient to parents, that happened on the way to church today type of a thing. But if I were to write a list of what humanity is going to look like, the further away it gets from God, the good creator and his design I almost never would have put the idea of ungrateful there. But the Apostle Paul says, no, that's a sheer sign. That when we become ungrateful of what God has done for us, that's a sign that we're moving further and further away, becoming ungodly. So I could teach this message two ways today. 
I could just like beat you over the head about you not being grateful. Look at all the stuff God's done in your life and blah, blah, blah. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Do the whole thing like that. And you could leave here and you would be like, oh, man, oh, gosh, I need to be more grateful. And I wouldn't help you in any way because I know something about you because it's the same of me. You're selfish. Okay, right? So here's what you need today. You need a motivator. You need something to undergird your gratefulness. You need something to to spur that. And in the passage today, I think we see a number of things. But if I could communicate one thing today to use Memorial Day weekend, it's this. God's goodness produces our gratefulness. This is not an ethereal concept. This is not some unicorn, you know, rainbows and fairies out there. Some, you know, this idea of, oh, gratefulness. There is something that produces that, that spurs that in us as believers. And that is the very goodness of God himself. And so we're in Luke's passage. And so maybe you didn't grow up in church. You don't know a lot about the Bible. But there's sort of four, like, biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're, both, they're all written to certain people in a certain context. Well, Luke was a physician. He's a doctor, and he's actually writing to, to non-believers and non-Jewish people. So he includes all types of stuff, and he's very, very detailed because he's a doctor. This issue with the ten lepers is only recorded in Luke's gospel. And I love that. It's almost like an interruption. It almost doesn't make sense. Because if you look in verse 11, it says, on the way to Jerusalem. Do you see that in your Bible? Luke organizes his gospel around Jesus' journey to the cross. So this is about the fourth time that it's mentioned. And he's letting you know Jesus is headed to Calvary. And he's headed to die. And everything's taking place now. This is serious. But for some reason, Luke records this issue with the lepers. And so here's what I want to do today. I want us to walk through a checklist and ask yourself questions. Listen, yourself. Not nudge your neighbor. Not, boy, Bill needs to listen to this sermon. Right? Yourself on this idea of, am I truly grateful in my life? And am I grateful because I'm just focusing on the goodness of God? Or am I grateful just because my circumstances are okay right now and it's a good season? Because amidst the dirty diapers and amidst the job and amidst the calendar and the hustle and bustle, there is a lot to complain about. And there is a lot of wrong and there is a lot of negative. But if Paul says the opposite of a believer is someone who is ungrateful, then how can we examine our hearts to look and see if this is true? Well, the first thing that I see in the passage is this, is that you have to recognize that you're helpless. It starts on a real positive note, right? You are helpless. Look in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, we have to stop and do a little work. We're going to have fun with the Bible, okay, right? So it's going to be like when I read my kids' stories, you're going to do the sound effect, okay? Now, Samaria was a bad place, bad part of town. And the Jewish people especially hated the Samaritans because they felt like they were almost like half-breed sellouts. Like they were kind of part of the Jewish lineage, but they had sold out on some stuff, incorporated some other things. So what I love about Jesus is that he is so controversial all the time. He's going places he shouldn't go. He's saying things that he shouldn't be saying. And Luke makes it a point to let us know that Jesus purposely, like Samaria is not really on the way. 
Jesus is sort of looping around to be a little bit controversial. So when I say the word Samaria, I want you to gasp out loud, okay? Can we have fun with the Bible today? Is that all right? If you don't do it, I'm going to preach angry, okay? Here we go, all right? On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria, perfect, and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by Ten lepers. Now, look at Luke's detail. Look how Luke describes them. Not just ten lepers, but who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So we have to talk about this idea of leprosy and and lepers. We'll talk about it medically and then spiritually. So back then, they didn't understand a lot about diseases like we do now. So there wasn't Clorox wipes and Germex back then, okay? So they didn't understand the particulars of this type of disease. If you've gone to medical school, you know this disease now is Hansen's disease from the doctor who sort of um, gave it the name and diagnosed it. Now it's pretty easy to treat. But basically what leprosy or Hansen's disease is, is it's a disease within the skin that makes the skin rot from the inside out. So the problem is no topical solution or things would help with this. And it would uh, attack the extremities, the the fingers, the hands, the toes. It would often cause people to be crippled. I almost thought about showing pictures and then I thought, "Eh, that's probably too far. You know what I mean? Anyway, it is brutal. A very brutal disease even today, though it's curable, but back then was a sheer sign of just a prolonged death. Now, the good thing about the Bible is it's not made up and wasn't written in a vacuum, okay? So so this is a real common ancient disease. But spiritually, we understand, so like always the first of the year in January, I know how your life goes, right? You finally get guilted into getting the membership at Planet Fitness. You're like, I did it. It was only five bucks. And they hit you with the extra 20 and you're like, what? You know, and all that stuff. And then you start the Bible reading plan. You're like, Genesis. Whoa, this is awesome. Exodus. Didn't know Charlton Heston was in the Bible. Whoa, that's cool. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? Then you hit Leviticus and the law, and you, and you make it like eight days in that month, and then you just stop and go, I'll start over again next year, right? And you start back again. So Leviticus is the book of law, and basically God saved the people of Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. They're wandering around in the desert, and here's what I love about it. God was warning them and giving them laws long before we ever understood what a germ or bacteria ever was. So God tells the people of Israel, hey, um, when someone dies and the body's rotted and you touch it, wash your hands, right? (laughs) Game changer, right? Because you had a limited number of people wandering around in the desert. So if like hepatitis or the flu breaks out, you lose a couple hundred people, that's like a third of your population. That's not good. So God gives them all of these ceremonial laws that meant a number of things. But in Leviticus 13, he teaches them about leprosy. And here's what he says. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, here's what I love about God being a good teacher to his people. He's taking something that's real, a disease, something that's known, but he's also teaching them something else. 
We're going to get back to Leviticus 13 towards the end, and I think you'll read it differently. But Warren Wearsby comments and talks about this, and listen, he says this. When you read the test for leprosy in Leviticus 13, you can see how the disease is a picture of sin. Like sin, leprosy is deeper than the skin, and it spreads. It defiles and it isolates. It renders things only fit for the fire. And anyone who has never trusted in Jesus spiritually is far worse than any person physically who has this disease. So what's happening here, I say all that to give you a context. When they walk in the town, when Jesus is walking into the town and they're outside the town, Jesus is doing something much more than a physical miracle. He's using a physical miracle to show you a spiritual truth. And the first step to gratitude is this. God does not help those who help themselves. That's nowhere in the Bible. That's Benjamin Franklin, and that is bad theology, bro. The gospel is this. God saves the helpless. That's the gospel. These lepers could not heal themselves. That's the gospel. Do you know what you don't do with a drowning man who's going down, sinking to the bottom of the sea? You don't give them advice. You don't say, well, clean your life up and get this and do this. You jump in and you save them. So no, the reason why oftentimes people struggle with gratitude and being grateful is because they have a theology that they did X, Y, and Z and then God met them halfway. So when suffering enters your life or things go wrong, you shake your fist at God because you said, I did this and then you did this and where are you now? If your gratitude at any point has you in it, then ungratefulness will follow quickly. So the first step of being grateful is understanding and recognizing that you are completely helpless. The second thing that I see is this, that you have to respond to God's word in obedience. Look in verse 13. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14. When he saw them, You know what's interesting about that phrase? It's the Greek word emblepo, which doesn't... This is why I love the Bible. Jesus didn't just see them. He saw them. He like looked at them in the eyes. Paused. Now remember, these people are hideous. Their clothes are torn. I mean, they look like the walking dead or something like that, you know? Imagine what it was like You had to be outside the city. You were an outcast. No one had touched you or hugged you or probably said that they loved you in years. But here comes this Jesus, and he stops, and he looks. And it wasn't just a, aw, look at that poor little puppy. Look at that man holding that sign. Better give him $5 to ease my conscience, you know. See, oftentimes I think we mask and say kindness is like Christianity, But what Jesus does here is he looks into their eyes. He stops. He recognizes them. And then he says these words. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. Isn't that cool? 
No, like, spitting in mud this time. No feeding 5,000 people from a Lunchable. Nothing, like, super cool like that. It was just simply a word, right? So there is the objective. Go and show yourself to the priests. Now, look again. And as they sat around and prayed about what to do, they were cleansed. Is that not what yours says? Oh. And as they sat around and did Bible drills and memorized the phrase, go and show yourself to the priest, they were cleansed. Right? Oh, let's try it one last time. As they went, they were cleansed. Fascinating, isn't it? They actually did what Jesus told them to do. Here's what's crazy to me. If I hear another Christian get out and use the cop-out phrase, God's will, and I need to pray about it in my life, I'm going to lay hands in Jesus' name, okay? Listen, newsflash. This blows people's minds all the time. There's a lot of stuff that you don't even need to pray about. Just do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who exactly is my neighbor? I should probably study the Greek phrase there in regards to that. Look at some commentaries here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. Well, the word submission, let's just look that up right there and say, Oh, Jason, there's a problem in my marriage. Oh, my kid. Oh, this. Oh, that. As they went, they were cleansed. Here's what's crazy, right? Oftentimes, and I can guarantee you this, that not every single one of your questions will be answered on this side of faith. All of your questions will be answered on the other side of obedience. So, what did it look like? They started to walk away, and then was it like when they couldn't see Jesus, they were cleansed, and so they were like, I guess I keep walking, I can't... It's not happening yet, but I see, do I keep what? Do I count my steps? What what do I do? As they went. So listen, from this I can understand that obedience is the evidence of faith. Right? Right? Guys, do you know how God is planning to change your marriage? Is for you to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Stop complaining and love her and watch what happens. Do you trust enough? Ladies, nagging won't win, praying will. But do you trust enough to be obedient and walk in the faith? So I was thinking about what makes obedience difficult for us, apart from the fact that we're broken sinners. So I made a list that will offend everybody. Let's walk through it. Top reasons why obedience is difficult. Number one, comfort. No question. I am comfortable. And do you know how uncomfortable it was what Jesus asked them to do? It was public, man. They had to walk into the city. Remember what the law was, you can't go into the city. So as they're walking into the city, 10 of them, they look like Michael Jackson's thriller probably, those guys coming in looking like zombies, right? Bill, what are you doing? You can't walk in here. Well, I'm coming in and i got to show myself to the priest and do all of this. That was massively uncomfortable. And here's the reason why we focus so much on Jesus, okay? I'm not interested in other particulars of theology and arguing about end times and, oh, this, and what are your particulars on this, and the spiritual gifts, what do you think about tongues, and this and that and all that. I want to get to Jesus because here's why. Your view of Jesus will determine how you live. 
Here's what I mean by that. If your Jesus would never challenge you, never walk through difficult times with you, never ask of a sacrifice for you, then when you get to those sections in your Bible, you will turn the page. But if you view Jesus correctly, then you will live for him rightly. And I love what C.S. Lewis says about comfort. Listen to these words. I did not come to Christianity to make me happy. How un-2018 is that, right? I mean, we think that like Jesus and happiness are synonymous with each other. C.S. Lewis says, I didn't come to Christianity to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of ale would do that for me. Don't get nervous. It's okay. It's all right, okay? I'll finish the quote. It's all right. If you want a religion to make you comfortable, I do not recommend Christianity. Now, does that align with your view? Comfort will always hinder your obedience. Here's a truth you can take to the grave. Obedience will always be uncomfortable. Every single time. Yep, you might have to end a relationship. You might have to have a tough conversations. Yes, it will be difficult. But listen, God always blesses obedience. Always as they went. The second thing is this, perspective. We just simply look at our life wrong because we look at it only through our own lens. Life is all about me. I know what you've thought about since the moment you pulled up in the parking lot and sat down. Where's the parking spot at? Oh, gosh, got to park over here in the gravel. Man, they should really spray these weeds. Coming in, is there coffee left? Oh, I don't know if there's coffee left. Hope he's not mad and preaches long today. I got the memorial thing after this, right? I know what's been on your mind since you came in. You, okay? Because we're human beings. So we always view our life through our own perspective. But could you imagine what these lepers were going through? And Jesus gives them a command and they just book it and do it. It's, it's reported in history, a little bit controversial. I don't know if it's 100% true or not, but Matthew Henry was robbed at one point. He was a Christian and an early church commentator. And he wrote in his journal, there's many citations for it, but he says this, let me be thankful first because I've never been robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, because although they took my all, I didn't have very much. And fourth, because it was me who was robbed and not someone else. Now, you could spin that perspective one of many ways. Get on Facebook and blast it, baby, right? But instead, he looks at the positive at it. So, so question, do you spend more time criticizing your life and others rather than acknowledging what's right in your life? Because remember, being ungrateful and not giving him thanks is our natural response. So the issue with the kids, the issue with the job, the issue that is permeating and you're filtering everything in your life through that, what if you changed your perspective? Perspective makes obedience hard. But the third thing is this, ignorance. Right? Do you understand this? This is profound, all right? You can quote me on this. Never. In the history of Christianity and Christendom, have we ever lived in a time where the Bible, theology, gospel preaching, and biblical knowledge is more available to you than right now? Ever in the history of the world. 
Like, you know, the printing press was imprinted to print the Bible. People didn't have their own Bibles. I was in big lots this past week and saw when you were checking out, almost bought a mattress, but the displays look really dirty, so I didn't want to do that. But anyway, so I was walking by and I saw a little recorder that reads the Bible to you at big lots. I mean, am I the only one that's fascinated about this? At big, I could have bought a mattress and a yard hose and a device that reads the Bible to me. And what was the thing you were saying about your schedule? And about the stuff? Listen, it, you ain't got to highlight and do all this. Why don't you just have the Bible read to you when you go to bed? That's probably better than nothing, right? So oftentimes our obedience is difficult because we don't know who we're obeying. We don't know the goodness and the characteristics that is communicated about God through his word. But also the pendulum swings the other way. Do you know what else I think makes our obedience difficult? Is intelligence. Oh, man. We also live in a time where everything is readily available and this and that. And, well, we should probably study this and look back upon what he said about this and probably sit here and study and do all of this. And we want every I dotted and every T crossed. And we, I mean, like, you know what's crazy nowadays? You can actually find people who believe the Bible and we'll search and we'll find people who will say exactly what we want them to say and go, well, see, they have this view on it. So clearly I'm going to go this route. And what you've done is you've used intelligence to mask your ignorance of obedience and at the end of the day what would it look like if we simply said yes Lord yes I don't know this seems really dumb right now and this is going to cause a lot of controversy in my family and at the workplace But I know through your word, I know through God's people, I know through prayer, this is it. This is where I'm going. So listen, here's the greatest math equation that I could ever give you. Are you ready for this? Information plus application equals transformation. That's it. Did you know all I can give you is information, even if you schedule a counseling time with me? That's it. That's all I can give you. Well, this is what God says about this. I can give you information, and then if you leave... And don't apply any of the information and you reschedule a visit with me, I'm going to dodge you like the plague, bro. Why do we need to meet? What do we need to talk about? Your excuses as to what you did not obey? Information plus application equals transformation. I see this in the passage, do you? As they went. So we respond to God's word in obedience. But here's a peculiar point that I see. The third one is this. We return to the giver. Now, this is where it gets really, really good. Verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet and giving him thanks. Now, he was... Oh, you remember your part? We got the word again. You remember? Are you ready? Are you looking at your Bible? Here we go. Now, he was a Samaritan. Do you know why Luke records that and Jesus says later on that he was a foreigner? Because he should have been the person least likely to return. He was the political left or the political right or this immoral person, the society's outcast, whatever label you want to put on it. Luke tells us three times in this passage that he would have been the least likely to return. But 
he comes back. And you know what I notice about this? He didn't leave and go, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And then he waited during November when everyone posts on Facebook 30 things that they're thankful for every day. And he said, every day out of the 30 days, I'm going to say, I'm thankful that Jesus healed me of leprosy. Look at the verbs. He turned back. He fell. He went. Listen, gratitude is not just an attitude. It's not just a state of mind. It's a do thing. It is an expression. It is something that you do with your life. It's not an ethereal concept. So then the way you handle money, the way that you structure your relationships in your life, the way you date, the way your marriage looks is all structured around an attitude of gratitude. It is a do thing, but he comes back to Jesus. Specifically Jesus. Now, I don't think it would have been bad if he went to the priest at the temple and was like thankful to the priest as to what God had done. That probably wouldn't have been bad, right? Why Jesus? Maybe this will help. So have you ever been at a birthday party with small children? Apart from that being complete and total torture, there's a lot of insight that you can see about human nature at that, okay? And then when it becomes present time, and it's the you know, boy or girl's little birthday, and they sit there in the chair, and then all the other kids are surrounding them like piranhas, like ready, like ready to open the present. Like, I'll help you open that. Do you need help opening that, right? And, but when you watch, the mom or dad stands close by, and the kid almost doesn't even spend time on the present that they're opening. Because it's like, what's, that? what's the big one? I see is that a Red Ryder BB gun? Back there, you know what I mean? It's like you've got to get to that other thing, and they blow past the gift. And what does the parent constantly have to say during the birthday party? Tell them thank you. They drove all the way here. Tell them thank you. Tell them thank you for the sweater. Tell, you know, right? Why? Number one, because gratitude is not natural. It's not. Just spend time around a small child, okay? Gratitude is not natural. But secondly, what the parent is teaching, maybe through osmosis, you don't even know you're teaching a giant theological concept. You're teaching the child not to just love the gift, but to focus on the giver. How selfish is it to just love the gift? Right? So listen to me. In Christianity, we are not primarily grateful and thankful for the gifts from God. We are primarily thankful for God Himself. Listen, the goal of following Christ is Christ. That's the goal. I'll never forget when Francis Chan said this at a conference, and I'll never forget this. And this is a way to gauge your heart. It's this. Would heaven still be heaven to you if Jesus wasn't there? Would you still desire, I understand fishing with grandpa and doing, oh, I can't wait to see Mimi and all, I love, all that's great. But every description we have in the New Testament and in Revelation, there's one thing going down, man. There's a throne and there's somebody sitting on that throne and everybody through all eternity is singing, holy, holy, worthy, worthy, beautiful, beautiful, glorious, glorious is the Christ who sits on that throne. And would, have, would you still desire and would you still long to go there if Christ wasn't there? And if your answer is no, then I fear for you. Because the goal and the beauty of Christianity is not the delights that God gives us, but it's to delight in God himself. 
And listen, those things, your delight and God getting praise don't work against each other. I used to think that like before I got saved. I thought, man, if I get saved, this is downhill. I'm going to have to listen to Bill Gaither all the time. And like, that's all I got, man. Like, I love Bill Gaither. All, All I'm saying is I thought I had to give up everything that I thought that I saw the beauty of Christ in, art, culture, and all of that, because God had to get his glory. He demanded it. But listen to what Pastor John Piper says. The wonderful thing about the gospel is that the response it requires from us for God's glory is also the response which we feel to be the most natural and joyful, namely gratitude for grace. God's glory and our gladness are not in competition with each other. Isn't that beautiful? So the natural response that was evoked from this leper was exactly what God needed, which was glory and gratitude. You see, it's God's goodness that produces our gratefulness. So we don't only have to recognize that we're helpless. We have to respond to God's word and obedience. But we return back to the giver and focus on him. But the last thing is this, is that we remember grace. Simply grace. Grace is an unearned gift from an unobligated giver. It's a gift. You didn't deserve it. It's grace. But look at what is interesting about this. Jesus says, Jesus says this in verse 18. Like, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't get astonished at a lot of things in the Gospels, right? He's not surprised a lot. Why? Because he's God and he created everything. He's been around for a while, okay? So he's not like, I didn't know that. But here's one thing that Jesus is constantly astonished with in the Gospels. Ungratefulness and unbelief. Jesus finds unbelief unbelievable. That's really good. That wasn't in my notes. You should like tweet that later on or something. But look at what he says. Was not one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Were not ten cleansed? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, even in your English translation, you should be able to read that and logically walk through and go, why did he say that again? In the original language, your faith has made you well. The word well is the Greek word for salvation. So listen, this is fearful to me. That according to this statistic, that literally 10 people, a majority of people in this room could sing praises to God, receive His blessings, but by far the minority would return back and give thanks to Jesus and actually receive salvation. Ten were cleansed. One was saved. To show you the severity of this idea of what it means to be grateful. But Luke is doing a play on words here, and this is where we have to get Sherlock Holmes. Go to verse 16. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I want you to underline that word thanks and write in the margin of your Bible. We're going to do a Bible study right now. You ready? We're studying the Bible, all right? All you fundamentalists are loving this right now. Here we go. Underline the word thanks and write Luke twenty-two nineteen. That word giving thanks is the Greek word eucharisto, where we get the word eucharist. We also see the exact same word used by Jesus later on in Luke's gospel. In Luke 22, it says these words, And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it 
And he blessed it, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Question. How could Jesus heal an unclean, leprous person? Well, he switched spots. Go back to Luke or to Leviticus 13, and the description says these words. The leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes. And in Mark's gospel, it says that as Jesus was crucified, they tore his clothes and they cast lots. And let the hair of his head hang loose. And Jesus had the hair of his head and his beard pulled out while he was crucified. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And Jesus said seven statements from the cross. And one of them was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in that moment... 2 Corinthians 5.21 became true. And for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know what I love about this passage? Is this proves to me that there's nothing so messy that God can't enter into. Even your heart and your mind and your marriage and that situation that you think, oh God, if people actually knew what was going on in my life and my thoughts were on that projector, I couldn't stay in this room. I'd have to move out of the county. God already knows and he can move in there. And what do you have to be grateful for? You have an eternal, holy, just God who though you were an enemy and hostile towards him, traded places with you. And took the punishment that you deserved. And now you get the cleanliness of Christ. As the band comes up and leads us in a time of response, and before you come to these tables, I have one very simple question to ask you. All eyes up here. Look up here. Which one are you? When it comes to the lepers, which one are you? Are you the one who's like, oh, I'll make time. I'll make time. After I go show myself to the priest, then I'll, go, I'll find Jesus and I'll go back to him. But first, I need to go to the priest and I'm going to have these other... And we know how that ends, time and time and time. Are you the one who is just like, woohoo, this happened. Woo, the circumstance is now free in my life. And that hairy situation I'm out of and now... Or what if you were the one who said, I cannot go another step. I can't go another day in my life. I can't go another step before I stop. I don't care what else has to stop. Whatever calendar, whatever job, whatever relationship. But I've got to stop and I've got to go back. And I've got to fall on my face at the feet of Christ with a loud voice. Oh, I love that gratitude has the volume on 10, man. And as a loud voice and tell Him, thank you. Thank you. And then I think, I just think that if you view your life through that moment, whether it be trials, tribulation, sickness, slander, cancer, or criticism, anything that happens in your life, when you view it through that lens, you will always have hope. Because it's the goodness of God that produces our gratefulness. As we close, Westside, I want you to hear these words as a benediction. Hear these words read over you. And so, from the day that we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding 
So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to His glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Why? How? How can we do all of this? For He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, we come before You today and we ask that You would have Your way with us. Oh God, please don't let us be in the majority. Please don't let us be in the majority of being so busy, not turning back and recognizing the giver over the gift. May we be encouraged today. And as we come to these tables, I believe that someone will come afresh like they've never come before. When we recognize that you gave thanks and broke your body for us. And so in light of that, we can view our whole life through the lens of your goodness. We love you. Have your way with us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in the tables today?